John's Apocalypse is quite important. It's another apocalyptic writing. We're getting up to the 90s CE, and John's Apocalypse, in a way, is a culmination of apocalypticism because, in this sense, in the sense that it becomes included in the New Testament canon, the, the scripture of Christians, this becomes the way in which the imagery of apocalypticism, including the, some of the things from First Enoch, gets inherited by Christianity through this, because it ends up in the New Testament, it ends up in scripture, at a later point, but it ends up there. But what I want to draw your attention to is the image of the place where the Satan goes to be punished in John's Apocalypse. So this is a Judean who's writing uh, about his visions, just like the other Judean visions. But in this case, it's a Judean who believes Jesus is the Judean Messiah. There's all kinds of places in John's Apocalypse where you have him explaining the final judgment. This is the focus of most of the visions. The judgment of evil. And the judgment of evil for him includes the judgment of the Roman Empire because he thinks the Roman Empire is intimately tied in and with uh, Satan. Satan and the Empire are one and the same. And, and so humanity is sometimes described as involving themselves with the prostitute Babylon that is Rome. So humanity and the emperors and all that are tied into Satan uh, here. And it's in the culmination of the judgment of all those in league with Satan and in league with the Empire that we're here having described in chapter 20. And here's what we have. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit, a pit again. I think that directly or indirectly, John's apocalypse knows of the way in which First Enoch talks about this uh, idea of the place of punishment as a pit. And a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, Leviathan, who is the devil and Satan. Remember that this was this case where John's Apocalypse is pulling together all kinds of strands together and identifying Satan with Leviathan and maybe even with the serpent of Genesis. And threw Satan into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be loosed for a little while. So Satan, Leviathan, gets imprisoned and chained in this bottomless pit. Goes a long way down, right? Goes forever down. For a thousand years. Then gets released. So hell and Satan relate together that way here. It's the place, in First Enoch, it's the place of punishment for the angels, for the stars. Here it's the place of temporarily being held and then being released. And when a thousand years are ended, Satan will be loosed from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, that is Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived the nations was thrown into the lake of fire. We didn't have that concept in First Enoch. And sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we have a pit where Satan is temporarily for a thousand years imprisoned, similar to the image in First Enoch, but that's not the place forever. There's another place where after the thousand years he's released, he battles with the good forces and God and angels, 
and ultimately then is thrown into a lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever. This eternal torment is quite important here. The rest of chapter 20 ends like this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Also another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. When Satan is judged and put into this lake of fire, the human beings are divided up as to whether or not they belong with Satan. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it. Death and Hades, which literally uses the Greek word for the God of the underworld, gave up the dead in them. And all were judged by what they had done. Then death and Hades, these are other personified evil figures here in this thought. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So any of the humans who associated with the Roman Empire and who did the things John thought shouldn't be done and associated themselves therefore with Satan are along with Satan, death, and Hades thrown into a lake of fire. And the implication is that they're tormented day and night forever and ever, but it's not stated at this point. So there's an interesting thing. I mean, we have further developments there. That's not the same as First Enoch. There's a relationship to Enoch, but it's a development. Let's move on to Jesus and hell. So the Gospels, those stories about Jesus, we read in connection with Satan. So you had several passages you looked at and all that. And we saw this, at least the image of Jesus we get from the Gospels. We don't know much about the historical Jesus, whether what he actually literally said. We have no way of knowing. But in terms of the portrayals of Jesus in the Gospels, the Gospels are written from 70 to 90 CE. Jan, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at least. This is somewhat contemporary with John's Apocalypse that we were just looking at. And the way those author portray Jesus, authors portray Jesus is they portray him referring to a place of punishment after you're dead. One of the most common terms that not only Matthew, Matthew's favorite is this term, but Mark also uses it, and it's referred to in Luke as well, is Gehenna. It may be that the historical Jesus spoke of a place of punishment after death as Gehenna. So this is another sort of thing that feeds into the history of hell. If you look at the passages that involve Gehenna in the New Testament, however, there's not much mention of Satan in connection with them. The focus is on that moral death issue of where do the people who behaved immorally during life go to be punished. And so Gehenna is a term for the place they go. Where did the idea of Gehenna come from? It came from a famous place outside the city of Jerusalem. There was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And it was just outside Jerusalem, outside the city walls. By the time of the Roman period, it may have been used as a garbage dump. But what's even more important for you to know is the history of associations with this place. The history of what people thought about in connection with this particular valley. It was associated with the slaughter of human beings and the burning of human beings. 
Why? Whether or not it really happened doesn't matter. But in the Hebrew Bible, there was the notion that some people, the inhabitants of Israel, before the Israelites came, had a custom. And the custom was to slaughter their own children and burn them in sacrifice. This is the accusation against the peoples who live in Israel before the Israelites show up there coming from slavery in Egypt. So this is the accusation against other ethnic groups. There are certain incidents in the Hebrew Bible that claim that Israelite kings participated in this actual old practice of the Canaanites and sacrificed children and burned them as a sacrifice to Yahweh, the Israelite God, in the Valley of Hinnom. Whether these things happen doesn't matter to us. What matters is this is this history of associating that place with the slaughter of human beings and the burning of human beings. Right? And you're going to start to see how it links up with the image of hell we get from the first Enoch and from John's Apocalypse. So uh, let me at least point to some passages that, that help you uh, see that. So Jeremiah, this is the passages I mentioned here, Jeremiah 7, 30-34 is a key one. Second Kings, these, this is an example where a king of Israel supposedly revives the practice of offering your kids to Moloch, the, the god of the Canaanites that used to be there. So in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 30 to 34, he refers to this practice. And this will give you a little context to the idea of Gehenna. When Jesus is talking about it, he's thinking of this association that we see here. Jeremiah is a prophet back in the period of the Babylonian exile. He's reacting to the fact that God's temple has been destroyed way back there in 586 BCE. We may have referred to that before here, I can't remember. Anyhow, he's a prophet in that era. And this is what he says. For the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. Remember the prophet speaks on behalf of God. So here he's reporting, this is what Yahweh says to you guys. For the people of Judah have done evil in my sight, says Yahweh. They have set their abominations in the house that is called my name, defiling it. And they go on building the high place of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. So Yahweh is distancing himself from that one. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says Yahweh, when it will no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth until there is no more room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the animals of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. There's going to be a pile of dead bodies in the valley of Hinnom. It's the valley of slaughter. This is the image that feeds into this place, and in a, a burning place where where human beings are burned to slaughter them. That this burning imagery and a dead body in a place is the image that Jesus most likely has in his mind when he uses this as a reference to the place where the immoral will end up in the final intervention of God. Do you get connection between the Valley of Hinnom and Gehenna now? It's just the same word transliterated into Greek, Gehenna. So in your New Testament, you'll find that it's translated as hell in most translations. They'll have a little footnote saying to you, Gehenna. It would have been nicer if they had a capped Valley of Hinnom there instead of hell, if they're going to put it into the English language. 
They might as well have done that, but they don't. When Matthew has Jesus talk about Gehenna as the place, he talks about it as the place where you gnash your teeth. This idea of grinding your teeth in the anguish of the life you have lived, being wrong, and the torture you now face is what Gehenna is all about. Another passage I just wanted to draw your attention to that shows you images of hell as in relation to Jesus and how the Gospels portray Jesus is this other famous little story about the rich man and a guy named Lazarus, not the Lazarus who in the Gospel of John is raised from the dead, a different Lazarus. And here it's a parable that Jesus is saying about moral death. In the Luke's narrative, chapter 16, verses 19 and following, where Jesus is portrayed as saying these things, and therefore Jesus is portrayed as giving an image of what hell is like. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day, Jesus is saying in Luke's narrative. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, the rich man looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. So flames and fire consistently being associated with the place of punishment in a, a lot of the evidence. Right off the bat, flames are there, and they continue to be there uh, for a long time after. But ice also in Dante, right? But anyways, but Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like uh, manner evil things during his life. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. The people in the flaming Hades stay in flaming Hades, and the people brought up to be with Abraham stay with Abraham in, in this uh, conception attributed to Jesus. There are many other passages in the Gospels that deal with not necessarily Gehenna, but other uh, ideas of what happens to you after you're dead. And there's that emphasis on moral death there over and over again attributed to Jesus. In other words, he's an apocalyptic thinker, most likely. He holds that apocalyptic worldview where once you're dead, eventually you will be raised and judged as having done what was wrong or as having done what was right. And you're, uh, you will be punished for the wrongs you've done uh, is attributed to Jesus regularly. 